Hello, everyone, and welcome to Berlin Companion, a weekly podcast about everything you never even knew you wanted to know about Berlin. My name is Beata, and some of you might know me as the woman behind the Berlin history blog called Kreuzberg Berlin Companion. Or you might know me from Twitter. Over past several weeks, we talked about the time when Berlin literally set the pace for a large part of Germany, about clocks that set the pace for Berlin, about an aeroplane that touched down in the midst of the 1945 Berlin Inferno, and about other flying machines starting from the old Flughafen Tempelhof and dropping an appetizing cargo on unsuspecting Berliners. Last week's episode recounts Alfred Hitchcock's connections with Germany's capital. Today we will be traveling back in time to Berlin in the days when things were really tight for some people and stayed tight for far too long. This episode might also explain the presence of a very peculiar construction feature still to be found in many of Berlin's old residential buildings. So, let's start our time machine. Landing in the 1890s. Have you ever slept in a wardrobe? If you did as a child, your memories of it might be rather fond. But try doing the same as a grown-up and your enthusiasm for the experience might evaporate quicker than you think. Even if for the purpose of this exercise we were talking about a massive old-school wardrobe. Think Narnia. Now, imagine the same piece of furniture, you're not inside it yet, nailed to the ceiling of a kitchen or a corridor, its door nailed shut, and an opening made in what used to be its bottom, with a freestanding ladder placed underneath it. And this, you're told, is where you live now. Sounds like a joke. Well, this was, in fact, the daily reality of tens of thousands of Berlin servants, mostly girls and young women employed as Mädchen für alles, maids for all work. Many old Berlin flats, especially those on the first and the second floor, are equipped with a rather convenient storage space, a low extra room under the seating. In our old flat in Kreuzberg, you could access it through a small wooden door above the one leading to the bathroom. Then you could crawl out of it on the other side, in the children's room. A room which for over a hundred years used to be the kitchen. And the tiny low space above the kitchen was where the servant, or servants, slept. Unlike in other big cities like Paris or London, where domestic helps traditionally lived in unheated attic or basement rooms, or even in separate lodgings altogether, Berlin's budding bourgeoisie often housed in typical Berlin tenements. Those who could afford it rented better flats at the front of the building, what is called the Vorderhaus, and still stands for higher seedings and better standard. Many of these buildings and flats were designed in a way meant to create an impression of elegance and prosperity, but were in fact a standardized, easy-to-build and rather cheapish offer. The construction was less expensive than the rent demanded later from the tenants would have implied. They looked very good, though, and perception was reality. 
As long as people for whose opinion you cared thought you lived at a decent address, in a decent house, in a decent flat, you were considered decent too, and you were prepared to pay for that illusion. Domestics, mostly young girls and young women, even though badly paid, were not cheap. You had to pay them, you had to feed them, you had to put them up. Round-the-clock help, and according to the Prussian Gesindenordnung, law regulating the service conditions for both servants and their masters, a domestic was to be at her master's and mistress's beck and call 24-7, which meant the maid had to live with the family. Most flats, though, had no extra room for a servant or what was known as a Mädchenkammer, today used mostly as a half-room or a pantry. So what to do? Enter Hängeboden, a kind of a hanging wardrobe we described at the start. These were inexpensive, practical, and at night they kept the maid out of the way, alternatives being a mattress in the bathroom or a folding bed in an open corridor. No one really cared what it meant for a servant with 16 hours of heavy physical labor behind them to be forced to sleep in a space the size of an extra-large coffin. If you cannot imagine the feeling, here's what Hedwig, an old servant from Theodor Fontane's novel Der Stechlin, says about it. You will always find them in the kitchen, right above the stove or right opposite one. You have to climb a ladder, and if you're exhausted, you might fall down. But most of the time you don't. Then you open the door and wriggle your body into it as if putting something into the oven. It's 30 degrees outside, fire was burning on the stove for the whole day, so it feels like laying on a grill. This was written in 1897. And it could be worse as this young, 14-year-old servant who, like most Berlin maids for all work, came from provincial Prussia, reported, I sleep on a hangerboarden, two and a half meter long, two and a half meter wide, and one and a half meter high. The hangerboarden was installed above the toilet. I use a freestanding ladder to reach it from the floor. The window faces a narrow courtyard where all other toilet windows of the whole building can be seen and undoubtedly smelled, too. Even though the campaign to ban Hängeboden as unhealthy and inhuman began in the 1860s, they at first proliferated after Berlin's big construction boom known as Gründerzeit. Prussia's victory over France in 1871 brought it unheard of riches, which were promptly invested. Famous Riemers Hofgarten elegant-looking, leafy, residential cul-de-sac neighborhood in Kreuzberg, occupying half of the block between the busy Jorkstraße, Großbärenstraße, Hagelbergerstraße and Mehringdam, offered standard, middle-class-ish flats at what was built as a decent address. And that was the perception at the time. There was, however, one problem. Most of them had no extra room for servants. To mend that, they were speedily equipped with Hängeboden. Just like many other Berlin flats in the so-called better front-of-the-house apartments. Convenient for the masters, not so for those responsible for providing them with comfort. For instance, the 1887 Berliner Baupolizeiverordnung, Berlin Building Regulation, 
specifically said that no rooms in newly built flats should be lower than 2.7 meters. Did that help? Not really. The law also specifically banned so-called Kellerwohnung, most often windowless and nearly always damp basement flats. 13 years later, in 1900, Berlin still had at least 30,000 of them, each occupied by at least four people. There was hardly any way to prevent employees from keeping their servants in rooms where swinging a mouse would have been a challenge. Some hangerboarden seedings hung as low as 1 meter 50. At 190, with a bunk bed installed inside the box, it left some 50 centimeters between the top bunk and a painful bang on the head. And just think of the ventilation. In the same year, 1900, marking the dawn of a new century, the situation of the domestic helps hardly improved. Nearly half of all Berlin Mädchen für alles still housed in utility rooms or crawled for the night into the Hängeboden. In 1904, in the already mentioned Riemers Hofgarten in Kreuzberg, a restaurant owner, Max Krüger of Jörgstrasse No. 85, faced charges of having four servants sleep in the space of 1.6 times 1.9 meters. That is three square meters. But in Max Krüger's defense, at least it was a Bodenkammer, a garret, not a coffin nailed to the ceiling over a stove or a toilet. On the other hand, Bodenkammer lodgings were considered to be on a par with the Kellerwohnung, the cellar or basement rooms. Freezing in winter, and in case of the garret, nearly impossible to breathe in when high summer came. You might think, all right, that was not comfortable and not particularly kind, but at least these girls and women had a roof over their heads and a tiny bit of privacy once they wriggled into their wooden lodgings, or did they? After approximately 16 hours of work, they hardly appreciated the privilege. Mädchen für alles, or maids for all work, were the lowest among the domestic servants. The day began at around 5.30 a.m. and required the full mental and physical capacities until at least 9.30 p.m. In the meantime, after getting up, getting dressed and neatly arranging their hair, they were supposed to do the following. Start the fire in the stove and the heating ovens. Tidy her room, called a room even if she slept in the garret, on the hangerboarden, or, yes, that happened too, on the floor in front of her master's and mistress's bedroom. Then clean and tidy the dining room, lay the coffee table, make and serve breakfast, clean and lay out master's and mistress's clothes, polish the shoes. At 8.30 a.m. she was to serve coffee. Then clean the remaining rooms, start preparing lunch at 8.30 a.m., washing up, coffee at 4 p.m., dinner at 7.30 p.m., then do the washing up and make the bedrooms ready for all. Again, that doesn't sound like awfully lot, does it? We all do some of it on daily basis, right? Well, we are not done yet. Add to it the little supplementary list of tasks as published in the Deutsche Hausfrauenzeitung in the 1900, and your basic daily schedule suddenly looks different altogether. Clean all the windows and polish all silver. 
clean all the lamps in the house, beat and wash all the carpets, wash, scrub and polish the floors, clean the bathroom, not a fun job by any means, neither today nor especially like that. If you think about the amount of time you need to clean your flat, you will see the sheer humongousness of the task those girls were facing. Since running water was not common goods at the onset of the 20th century, you had to fetch bucketfuls of water from downstairs. Lucky those whose employers lived on the ground floor or paid someone else to do the job. They lugged baskets filled with coal in order then to heat up the water they dragged upstairs first and there was a lot of water to be heated on a daily basis, as you can imagine. Then you had to make sure the fire in the stove and ovens hasn't died, light all the lamps after filling them up with oil first. And some of these poor souls had to take care of the kids, too. In his book Die Lage der weiblichen Dienstboten in Berlin, The Condition of Female Domestic Servants in Berlin, published in 1902, Oskar Stillich talks about around 1.3 million people working as servants in Kaiser's Germany, and 20% of them in Berlin. 96% of those were single young women. Every year, 44,000 of them arrived in Berlin straight from Brandenburg, Pomerania or East Prussia. Many were younger than 18. In fact, in 1895... Over 32,000 German domestics were under 14, and the Hängeboden was a symbol of that misery. So, it might come as a bit of a surprise to hear that Berlin's Hängeboden is back with a vengeance. However, like the rest of the city, it has been mercilessly gentrified. In April 2021, Berlin press and social media were a buzz with the news of a clever building tenant who found a way to sublet his place for a profit. He offered accommodation on the Hängeboden, installed between the kitchen and the main door for the price of, watch this, 600 euros a month. Or a shorter lease, but minimum two weeks, please. He was happy to report that despite the world pandemic and the rather unpleasant historic connotations, his Hängeboden was booked out 80% of the time. That's Berlin for you. It's Narnia Reloaded. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Berlin Companion Podcast. Please leave a comment and follow me on your podcast streaming service of choice. The podcast is available via its home-based platform of Buzzsprout, through Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher, among others. Also, maybe consider leaving a small donation via Buy Me A Coffee to help cover the costs of running the podcast. You'll find the details in the show notes. And do return next week for another story from the treasure trove of Berlin Companion. In the meantime, you will find me on Twitter at, at Kreuzberg, that's Kreuzberg with ED at the end, and on WordPress under Kreuzberg Berlin Companion. My Berlin audio tours are available via voice maps. Thank you for joining me today and I'll see you in Berlin.